Conventions have been an important part of our hobby since the very early days of tabletop RPGs. It's a great way to meet other gaming enthusiasts, try out new games, and forge friendships. That is exactly how we met one of our guests tonight, around a gaming table over a game of brass and steel. It's Running Games at Cons with our special guests, Scott Legault and Alex Jackal, this week on the Dungeon Masters Dojo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Masters Dojo Podcast. This is a show for game masters and players alike. We hope to bring you tips and tricks to elevate your game and develop the art of dungeon mastery. I'm your host, Louis Aponte, and these are your Dungeon Masters, Scott Labby and Bill Robitaille. Let's head to the dojo and see what they have in store for us today. The Dungeon Masters Dojo is going to be running some games at a convention this spring. For me, this is my first time running games at a con. Bill, well, you may be a bit rusty. So we reached out to our good friend and fellow DM, Scott Legault, for some tips on running games, and he brought some backup. With him today is another seasoned DM, an iron DM, if I heard it right, Alex Jackal. Hi. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> Lou's over, I, giving, over here giving us hand signals. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't picking up what he was putting down, um, but now, now I, now I know. So, hey, thanks for coming on, Alex. It's a, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, we have heard some. Uh, I actually, I think I heard your name at Carnage this year at a table. I was playing at. Someone mentioned uh, that he owed you money. That he. <laughs> Yeah, someone mentioned Dark Phoenix events or something of that nature, and I believe it was your name that came up. So it was as it was well, all complimentary. I hope, I hope it wasn't. I hope it was uh, in, a, in the context of they had a good time. Yeah, yeah actually, it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, they said a lot of really impressive things. So um, I'm hoping to be able to sit at your table at some point in time and uh, partake. That would be great. In yeah, Alex yeah. runs a heck of a game. So, so gentlemen, what is, what is it about conventions you enjoy the most? Alex, go ahead. You go first, buddy. Sure. Well, I, I have a interesting – I, for a long time, didn't go to conventions at all. And it was really Scott um, that introduced me to going to conventions. And for, for most of my Friction. gaming career, Friction. I ran long-term campaigns. Uh, I would run, you know, I've had a campaign that's been running for 32 years. I've had other campaigns that are like 18 years. So like really, when I say long-term, I mean really long-term, right? And I um, went into the, went into the, at first I was like, how the heck can you run a game in four hours? Right? That was like befuddling to me. Because how can you have a good story arc? How can you create the characters? Where's the, you know, and it has become... Uh, a thing of great interest for me over the last decade or so as I've sort of mastered and strove to master the art of four-hour games. How do you get a table of strangers together with you, tell a story, get people invested in their characters, and bring the story to completion all in the space of four hours? And that's been a very exciting adventure to actually master that, and I had thought of myself before starting that that was really pretty good at being a, a game master, but it really takes something 
to do a complete story and really take care of your players and make sure they have a great time in that four-hour period. So I've really, for me, conventions have been this exercise in me really sharpening the blade of being a game master and learning how to deliver that in that very controlled, very precise period of time. And I'm a little bit of a rebel, and I enjoy doing interesting and different things in that four-hour period. Nice. Exactly what he said. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, valid points. Um, What do I love about cons? Um, People. I I love meeting people, Mm. gaming with them. I love sharing a story. I love the next year seeing somebody in the hallway that you were in a game with, whether you were running that game or playing in that game, and you both – relive a, a moment in that game where you laugh about something or cry about something. Um, I love running games. I, I love, uh, I run COC a lot. So I, I really enjoy scaring people. Uh, and I like making people laugh. Um, those I think are the two hardest things to do, uh, in a game. And, uh, I get satisfaction out of people either walking away from my game saying, gee, that was creepy or, uh, joy. I had a heck of a time. Um, that's kind of the social aspects of conventions really kind of draw me in. And, and it's one of the reasons why we have Doc Phoenix has so many friends now. And uh, one of the reasons why we branched out even more, which we'll be get to soon. But, um, you know, it's how, how I met you guys. Um, I just love meeting people and sharing gaming as, as a life experience with them. So what are the keys to being successful at running games at a convention? I mean, what are the key points? Well, I think there are are a couple of them. Uh, One of them is training yourself to read the room. When you sit down with six people you have met, is the ability to go, what do these people want? And by the way, there's some very, very subtle tricks. You can get ready for this one. You can ask them, right? And, um, (laughs) And they'll often tell you what they want, right? And... Um, and by it once it's really important because if you can get what they want, you that'll help you immensely in providing uh, a pleasurable experience. The other thing is preparation. I run a lot of games that look like they're ad hoc, but I spend an enormous time and put in time triggers like at two hours. I got to make sure that the story is at least at this kind of a place, right? And and I use that sort of a real-world timeline, not the, not the game-world timeline, but the real-world timeline of how much time I have left to make sure I get all the story points in and make sure that all the players manage to meet the objectives they came into the table with. And that's, I think, one of the things that if you can do that, you will be successful, and people will talk about your games, and they'll love your games, and it'll make a difference. I wholeheartedly I, agree. <laughs> I agree, too. Um, I feel that to be a successful running games at a con, um, you need player immersion. So however you do that, you know, you have six people or seven people or sometimes nine people at your table. And, you know, all of them are different places, you know, one, they all have different things going on in their lives, but you need to get them involved in your game to the point where, at which they care. So especially for like a horror game, if you can get them to care about that piece of paper you gave them with a character on it, they will have a, both a much better time and they'll be much more immersed in your, in your adventure. Um, That's so true. Yeah. If, 
emerging is huge. I think that's that's probably the number one thing. If you can get people to to be like, hey, oh wow, this is I want to play this game and I want I want to survive. I want to I want to defeat the baddie. I, whatever it is, the goal that you give them that they latch on to. Uh, I want to you know this group to be a, a functioning uh, group that is able to take this thing out. Um, however you do that, I find that a lot of times in the first hour of any game, whether that be uh, COC, whether it be 5e, if you can get the players to interact with each other and form themselves into a team, that's the key. Once they've formed that team, they're like, you know, they're going to try to save Johnny. They're not going to let him go. You know, um, they're going to do stuff. They're going to put them, their own characters on the line for somebody else. And that's immersion. It's funny you bring that up because I, I felt that immersion almost immediately <laughs> that last time we played Call of Cthulhu online, <laughs> and it was it was us and, and, and Bill and Lou and Jerome from D20 to Curtain. Yep. And am I missing anybody else? Dave Wild. Dave, Dave Wild, yeah, Dave, from Dave, Retro yeah, RPG Dave. Review. I went on to play in Dave's game for a while after that. That was yeah. fun, so. Yeah, I yeah I wish I could have joined that. I, I'd always wanted to play that, but. Uh, the <laughs> yeah, if you can get people to to be like, "Hey, I don't want to die. This character matters yeah. to me, even for the sake of the game." Yeah. That's you're successful. Once you do that, they'll immerse themselves. They'll go the extra mile. They'll be involved. They'll help others be involved. Mm -hmm. um, there's a whole lot of that, you know. And the other thing, you know, you got to look at your table and say, "All right, so not everyone's at the same level as a player. Some people are shyer than others. You have to." catered to that, bring that out in them that they can be involved as much as they want to, too. One of the things I just wanted to point out, one of the things that Scott is really good at is that giving, meeting people where they're at. And I think that's really important because I think he has a, a sort of a gift for that, right? And I think that's important to keep sharpening in your tool belt as a, as a DM is that is that thing that some people are all like I'm if I'm on your table, I'm gonna be loud, I'm gonna method act, I'm gonna put on an accent, I'm gonna create a psychology for my character to the point of extremity. You have to suppress me as a player. Right? <laughs> and um God and with, knows I have. So. And he's he's trying. <laughs> he's trying. And um and um and but other players are super introverted, but they love playing the giant barbarian that's like you know wax people or the space marine or whatever it is. But they're shy, right? They're not going to actually bark out commands. They're not, and you need to draw those people out. Even though the louder players are going to dominate, you need to just be able to make sure you're always listening to that and going, and then pushing the attention back on the introvert person, you know, or the shy person, so they get their moment in the sun. Not to say to force them to act or force them to do things, but give them that chance to shoot that critical shot or take that critical swing or make yeah. that amazing or be the cop, hero you know, or yeah, to yeah. be the hero. Right. Yeah. You know, so it's really important. I always found one of the ways to really get them immersed is a energetic, very descriptive narrative. When you first open the table, it's kind of like hitting mm -hmm. the reset button for everybody to get some. So you get up there and you give a, a, you know, a beautiful narrative, you know, an open monologue. And that usually is a good way to kind of reset, get everyone's mindset in the same spot and then action right out of the yep. gate. So they, they're all like, Oh wow, well, this is, you know, and it kind of draws them right in. And that's a trick that I've always used is just that, 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 you know, loud, boisterous, stand up, pointing, ge you know, gesticulating, and 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 that usually gets them like, wow, you know, wow, this is, you know, and that's get you get that that wow right out of the gate, and now all eyes are front and center. That's Bill yeah. at his baseline, though. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. You, you're another one of those guys they have to suppress, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Every time. Hence the mute button. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what should you avoid as a DM running out at a convention game? All right, let me, let me, let me touch oh, this one first. Yeah, go ahead, Scott. So, obviously, there's things, you know, we have to be conscious of everyone's has triggers and things like that that will bother them. You're running in a, a game at a con. You have to be more conscious of the fact that, first of all, you don't know these people. Um, they could have something in their history that, that, you know, some some of the games we play are adult themes, very adult themes. If you play any kind of horror, well, you know, horror, you're trying to trigger things, so you have to be careful what you trigger. I have a couple games where it was called Cthulhu games where they involve children. And that's that can be a tough one. You have to you have to be careful with that. I tell that right in the description that this game, you know, this is something that you have an issue with. This is not a game for you. Um, but I I think that you have to look at the table and you have to take cues from people on. And if you start down, if someone starts down a, a path that could be dangerous to that, you have to be able to pull the pull the table back around away from it. It's happened in my games. People start talking about doing some silly things that uh, that are just not too cool, and you have to be able to just be like, all right, well, yeah, we're going to go a different way. So, um, you know, that's not going to happen at this table. So, and sometimes you have to say that right out of game that this is not going to, that's not going to happen in this table. This is not something that we're going to do. And you know, but I th- I think controlling the game in in some aspect to keep them in the game. Don't let them go off on a tangent and do something that, you know, it's because I had a character, one t- a guy one time sit down at my table and for whatever reason, I still don't know to this day, he just really wanted to break my game. And, um, um, you know, I, I, I let him take a walk with it a little bit and then I just kind of reined him in and um, I basically, we took a five minute break and I took him aside. I said, look, I know what you're doing. I said, I'm not interested in it. You can either play the game with the rest of the players well, you, you can bow out because I'm not going to put up with it. And um, he ended up leaving. So, you know, it's his choice. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I want to play a game that everyone's going to enjoy, but, you know, some people will work to against that. I don't know why, but it does happen once in a while. Yeah, well, for, first of everything you just said, right, That's I think that's exactly right. You have to be you have to be careful um, in a con because you aren't you're in public. Right. And so you don't know who's listening. And there may be, you know, a four year old or, or a six year old that's like standing right behind you. And you don't even know. Right. As you're as you're running the game. So it's very different than being at home where you know all the people and you know the ground. rules, Right. They're, the ground rules are not clear in the convention. People come from very different places. Some people run games. They run D&D games or fantasy games or you know whatever it is. They run them like board games. They, you know, they don't role play much or they don't get emotionally invested. They, for them, and that's not even, I'm not even making a judgment call. That. That's just how they play, right? And other people <clears throat> to explore philosophical themes and explore their deep emotional, you know, circumstances. And that's also good. And I'm not judging that either, but that also may not be, the con may not be the best place for those kind of games, right? Those might be better home campaigns, stuff like that. And, so I have a list of things that I usually try to avoid. Um, and the truth is, it's funny, because the trope of fantasy, which is what many games are, right? You also, but let's just take fantasy. The trope of fantasy, sex and violence is fundamental, 
to many of those stories. You've got people having sex, broad feud, barbarians and princesses and knights getting their reward, or, you know, whatever you, however you want to frame that. But in a con game, you don't know what that person's point of view is. So all of the sex, which in my home campaign, my at more of, gets pushed off screen. You fade to black, right? Or you might have it, right? You might reference it, but you fade to black. No, nothing explicit, right? Violence, on the other hand, is so accepted in the genre. Cutting somebody's head off or splitting someone in half with your great axe, it's probably fine, right? <laughs> yeah, but, but don't yeah. grab the maiden's butt. <laughs> but don't grab, don't grab the butt. But you right. cut the guy in half. That's fine. Yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you're right, though. That's that's kind of you know. And, and you just have to you have to understand. Yeah, you just have to understand that. And and now the other more subtle things you have to be careful of are things like racism and politics and religion, right? Because there may be things that you consider to be just fundamental to the truth of the universe. But if you have one of your characters say it, or it becomes a fundamental part of your thing, you can really piss off either that li- crazy liberal or that crazy right-wing person or that crazy middle-of-the-ground person, right? Whatever it is, whatever the political stance is. And religion, you have to be really careful, right? And fantasy has to do with gods often and angels and all that sort of stuff. And as long as you treat them as myth as mythological characters that are just in play or monsters or NPCs, you're fine. If you start adding too much religious significance in those things, you can actually piss people off. Now, by the way, I'm an edgy, Scott will tell you, I'm a little edgy. I like to play with edgy themes. And so I, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Scott. No, you guys know, these guys played in my game where it was, it was angelic issues. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so that's, you know, you just have to watch it. You just have to know that yeah. what you're playing with and be aware of your, uh, as Scott said, you have to be aware of your team. And the thing, and the, the thing I most watch out for is abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause you, that's one of the things that just triggers people. And some people get righteous about it. Like, well, I, I have freedom of religion. I can talk about what, yeah, you can. You're free to cover any topic you want in your game as a GM. But the key is, what 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 is your intent as a GM? Your intent right. is to have these people have a good time. Right? And if that's your intent, put it away for four hours. Right? For four hours, have the sex be off screen. For four hours, don't bring politics into it at all. Right? For four hours, just focus on having the people at your table have a great time. And I think that's the that's the thing to avoid when you're in in, in a in a convention environment. Well spoken. So, what does your prep look like when you're getting ready to you know game master a game? Oh, boy. Um, so <laughs> I know that was loaded. <laughs> well, it's it, that's a double edged sword. So, so it depends on the game, I should say. So, if I'm gonna run. Uh, brass and steel, which is campy, uh, steampunk. My prep is really maybe a couple hours uh, writing a scenario and fleshing out some bad guys, and I have some plot points that I want them to connect to, um, and some co- getting some cool artwork together for that. So maybe four four hours. Um, 
if I'm going to run a COC game, like a serious COC game, my prep is probably more like 40 hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I do a lot of research. To me, like, like horror is tough. People trigger it on different things. So I find that if you can use in a, in a, on a horror game a location that is real in this world, and that they could go on Wikipedia and look up and it is really a place, then that adds a lot of realism to the fact that, wow, they're like, oh, this is really good. This place really is creepy. It's, it's, this is really a place. So I write a lot of my COC games. I draw from places that I find and research, and uh, I have done everything from uh, North Brother Island in New York Harbor where uh, Typhoid Berry died, um, I've got a game based there. I've got a game it's based a game. Um, oh. in the hills of Pasadena in the 30s where uh, a, a really rich um, uh, magnet built an entire, um, well, like a, a, a wealthy playground up in the hills, and now it's gone. He had his own observatory and everything, a crazy place. Um, I, I wrote a COC game about that. Um, you know, the Bermuda Triangle is always a good one. I did that. But um, I find that if you can find places that people can relate to it, you could give them, hey, here's a couple pages that you can read while we're doing the introduction on where you're going to be. Uh, I think that creeps people out, that it's really a place. So I use that a lot. Uh, location is big for me. Um, I so looked into your location, prep, so. the last game. I, I was like, <laughs> right, oh, yeah. see? shit, this is, a, this is a Bigfoot game. I'm down with that. I devoured yeah. everything I could find on, <laughs> yeah. on the internet, of course, yeah. because that's reliable information. Yeah, I just never, yeah. never lies anything. And, it's and Sasquatch, the, and it the, wasn't. The places was, you went were real. So, <laughs> threw so. me a curveball. It wasn't Bigfoot. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> It was something worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so prep for a COC game, I don't know, 30, 40 hours. Um, and not all at once, obviously. You know, an idea will percolate in me for a long time. I've got two ideas in me now that I haven't done anything with, so that's a, there's a game coming in the next year or so. Um, but, yeah, it depends on the game, I guess, what my prep looks like. Uh, but I, I'm always prepared. I, never, I don't like running uh, ad hoc. Um, I, I like to have a, a, a plot and a theme and, 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 you know, like if I'm going to run a 5e game, I'll develop the in areas for fights and things like that and puzzles and all that stuff. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what about you, Alex? Well, first off, uh, what, what Scott said, uh, and not surprisingly, as a matter of fact, I learned the use of props and real life locations from Scott. I really got that from him and Thank I started, you. and I've started, you know, using that myself. It's very useful. It's because first off, it also allows you, it allows you to add a level of detail without you having to invent it. Like if you, if you have that real maps and real pictures of the place, it allows you to then build your story inside that. Yep. It's both more work and less work. It's exactly (laughs) both more work and less work. And you have to be a little careful to make sure you don't, because they're then going to look stuff up and you don't want to get, get, you know, hijacked by that. The other thing I do, though, for con games in particular, is I always, always make a real-life timeline on what I want to do. And I, unlike Scott, I love running ad hoc games, but what what may look like completely ad hoc games with me almost never are. Because, like, I run one game where literally the people on the table spend the first 15 minutes creating their characters. And then they start, it's a superhero game. 
And then they spend 15 minutes creating their powers and they're assigned randomly to each of the people. And they don't even know what the powers are. And I always end up just, with the worst powers. <laughs> and they, and worst then, powers. <laughs> and, then we, and then I have them, I have them vote on locations and they just randomly pick a location and they randomly pick a time. And then we, we, we just start having the characters interact. So there's no plot at all. Alex right? is much better off the cuff than I am. I'm a little and, But what I, what I do for those is I have the, the setup time structure. And then I say, okay, I'm going to have, a, I'm going to let them futz around for half an hour getting to know each other. Then I'm going to have a threat of something. And, and then I'm going to, and I literally plot out in time. We're going to kill them. I invent the, I invent the threat based on what they create in the first half hour of the game. And so, but, but it's still, re- for me, it's relatively structured, even though it doesn't look like it, it's still, there's a structure to it. So I can, again, guarantee that at the end of four hours, will be at least a reasonable place. Now, I fail sometimes. Sometimes they're in the middle of something. They're like, oh, we have to play this again, right? <laughs> you know, but, but, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a way to manage it. So timelines are really important. But having, with IMGM, which is the, that contest where you walk in and you don't know what, even what system you're going to run necessarily. The players vote that, whose table you get assigned to that you've never met before. They vote on a system. And then the, 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 the Iron GM gives you three themes to build your story on. And then you have a, a half an hour to build the story. And then you run them for four hours, right? And then, they've, then they rate them. That's how the, that, the contest goes. In that, I actually, what I do for preparation is I will pick a setting like Constantinople. And then I will pick interesting locations in Constantinople. I'll, I'll sort of look at the map. I'll familiarize myself. And then... When they say the themes, I then place the story in that setting. Hmm. So I, even though there's no way to prepare, really, I, however, can paint a picture. Like you were talking about at the beginning about, you know, building that monologue in the beginning, that sort of, so I'm ready. I can see, oh, you can see the blue dome, you can see the rib, you know, you, I, I can create the place they're in and the location they're in and then insert the story elements, the characters into and so that's one of the things I do for prep uh, going in. There you go. Let's get intimate. Can we get a peek inside your convention DM tool belt? <laughs> Which, what you got in there? Open it up and show us. Be careful. Rumor has there's a lot of sharp things in there. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, go ahead. You go first on this one. Um, well, I think we've talked about some of them already, right? That uh, the, the, uh, the timeline, um, I will, uh, another thing I have in my tool belt, so to speak, is reusability, right? A lot of, I'll come up with ideas and then the, the player characters will take a left turn. You know what I mean by a left turn? They'll just like, they'll go off and, you know, buy ice cream instead of killing the lick, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I have a lot of stuff that I can use and I'm always sort of prepared to modularize everything so that I can actually walk into a scenario and all of a sudden, just someone goes, oh my God, wait, is there, are there any, you know, I feel like, I feel like going into a castle. Are there any ruined castles? And I'll go, oh my God. And I'll go, okay, wait, I do have a scenario with a castle. I can then whip that out. And it seems like it makes the world that people are playing in, even if they're only playing in a one shot for four hours, it makes it seem like they're in a gigantic world that's real and existing outside themselves. And it's really the, the, the trick is to have, just enough 
stuff that you can reuse and be willing to reuse stuff, and then to merge with and dance with the players without resisting them. Players hate to be railroaded. Oh, yeah. Right? They hate it, right, so much. Now, and most modules, right, you play are about railroading the players in this one specific path, right? And so I try as much as possible to have at least three things available. So if they take a left turn, I start describing the second thing, and it's like, oh, my God, this is a world. This is like a real world. In reality, I only have three things. If they went to a fourth thing, I'd be in trouble. Right? I'd have to start just making stuff up, right? But it's um, it's really, for me, about having enough options in place to be able to create that experience of the players immersing themselves in a world other than the one we're actually in. All right, so what, am I, what is inside my tool belt? All right, so a 10-foot pole, 100-foot of rope, and a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I never so, figured how you carry that donkey stuff. <laughs> um, all right. So honestly, um, I think preparation is is in my is the tool belt. I I really I, I, um, can I add hoc? Sure. Um, characters net your 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 wonderful module that you spent you know hours and hours writing never survives uh, the players <laughs> never you know. Um, so my my goal is this. So like for example, I always. Everybody says, you know, everybody wants a sandbox environment so they can go in the game and do what they want. That's fine. And, yes, and I, you give them that. But that doesn't mean that all points don't re- lead to the same point. Um, so all my games start someplace and end the place I want them to. How you get there sort of becomes irrelevant. Um, you know, it's a little more if you're in a in a fantasy dungeon scenario, that's different. You're going rope to rope. But I'm saying if you're in an open environment and you need to fly across the world to get someplace, it doesn't matter whether you stop in Cairo or Paris. Um, we can do either one of those places or we can go to Bangkok, but it doesn't matter as long as you end up in, in Munich <laughs> because that's where the thing is. So um, <laughs> I think my, my tool belt is uh, a well-planned um Knowing that the fact that it's going to be different than you want it to be, mm. <laughs> so, um, and I think that always happens. Players always, to this day, I'll run a game seven times, and there'll be seven different outcomes, and the players will, you know, do. There'll always be one group of players that does something. I'm like, wow, no one ever thought of that before. <laughs> That's amazing and terrible for me, uh, or for them. So, um, <laughs> But yeah, that's the I think uh, preparedness and uh, the ability to uh, to modify your game. So is, yeah, is Scott, can I say something about that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, one of the things that uh, just to build on what Scott just said is that you have an ending of a of a scenario you built where the guy is the head of the evil corporation and he's in this you know uh, giant skyscraper in in Munich, right? And if they then say, we're not, we're, yeah. we're not going to Munich, right? We're, we're going to Barcelona, right? And then they go to put all what you can literally run the same scenario, except yeah. he's in La Sagrada Familia in Barcelona, right? Not in the skyscraper in Munich, right? And so, it, but it's the same guy, but it's like that rule of piano playing. When people talk about playing the piano, most of the people listening to you won't know if you make a mistake. Right? It's like you're the only one of those, and you're agonizing over, oh, my God, I screwed up this plot element. They don't know. They're just playing in the world. They're they, no. they, they are just playing the what, they've, what they're what they in. 
And so if and you can then quickly just place your evil villain, evil magnate into the into the cathedral instead of the skyscraper and make it Barcelona instead of Munich, and they think they made all the choices, and then they, they're like, we figured it out, we figured out that it was Barcelona, <laughs> right? And they're all proud of themselves, right? And and in fact, it was Munich, but that's but they're happy, they you know, and they 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 walk away satisfied, and you've mostly done the module created. So uh, just underlining that point of what Scott said is the point isn't the details. The point is the fabric of the story you're telling them. And you and your ability to take the components that make up that fabric and put them in whatever context the players are creating or moving towards, that's what makes a good game. And that having that in your tool belt, I think, really makes a difference. All right, let's pause for a minute here. Author Matthew Fillion's new book, Doc's Silence, The Cost of Magic, is the latest in the Indestructibles superhero novel series. Doc's Silence, the Indestructibles' mysterious mentor, is one of the greatest magicians. And The Cost of Magic, we finally hear his story in this urban fantasy meets superhero adventure. He'll face demons and dragons, fae and immortals, as he decides how much of himself he's willing to give up to be a hero. All magic has a cost. How much is young Doc Silence willing to pay? You can find this on Amazon, Kindle, and through MatthewFillion.com. Check it out. And you run games with Dark Phoenix events. How does that differ from running games at conventions, or, or does it? Well, one thing is, is that with Dark Phoenix events, it's actually amazing because of the group, the camaraderie of the GMs we have together, the Game Masters. All of us, every single GM in Dark Phoenix is in the Dark Phoenix because we love the art and science of gaming, right? We're not just playing to spend some time. We're actually interested in owning our craft. We relate to ourselves as craftsmen. And so the Dark Phoenix room, if we usually we have a room to ourselves, right, where we play all our games together, it looks a lot like the other convention, maybe a little bit louder. Definitely a little louder. <laughs> but um, but it's it's every one of us is interested in sharpening, and often when you walk, and we smell the better theater, too. So. Yes, that's right. <laughs> when you um, <laughs> when you um, yeah, the, we're, we're good at we're, we're good at reducing the contract. We're you know we're a clean group, uh, <laughs> and uh, there's a. Uh, um, when you walk into our room, often you'll see us experiment. We very frequently have five of us running the same game. We'll have five tables and an intricate game where the they're all running in the same world, but there's five GMs, and we're all working together to create that. So we're constantly looking for new ways to give players interesting experiences and, and yeah, and testing us and, and just to say and testing ourselves and increasing yes. our abilities because you know running a five table game uh, is much more difficult <laughs> than running th- five one table games. <laughs> so go ahead, Alex. Go back to you. No, no, I, I, that that's it, really. I'm saying that, that's for me one of the big differences. And and I say this with uh, a modicum of of humility, which I have very little of, right? But uh, with a modicum of humility. <laughs> Most of our GMs are really good, right? We're 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 we're, we're putting top-notch games on, and it takes a little more work, 
right? But it's uh, it's great to be a part of. And I think that esprit de corps sort of you get, it's like people want to be in a dark feeds game because of that. Yeah. Because we're we, trying we sell out. We sell out, our, sell out our games. So. Yeah, and it's so. not that we're better than other people, uh, except when we, are, when we are, right? But it's it's really about the fact that we're really committed to the players. Right. It's like one of our underlying themes is we're committed that players who come to our tables have a great time. We may scare you, you may be excited, but you're going to have a great time, whatever it is that we're doing. Or, or you know, as long as we succeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, genre, I mean, uh, how they differ in cons. Most of our games that we run as, as Doc Phoenix, if we're, we're running for somebody at their house or in the woods, or uh, run just like a regular con game. They're generally four-hour games. Um, there's generally breaks like we like we would take in a regular game. Um, so that they, they generally run like a con game, and you know because you you know you have to be able to say, all right, this is something I'm charging somebody for. It's X amount of time. Uh, you know, you can't just be open-ended and be like, oh, yeah, we'll play all night. Um, we could, but then, you know, I, we'd have less money than we started with. Um, <laughs> not that we have any now. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, they work almost exactly like a kind game, with the exception is if someone hires us to run a game, most of the time they know who we are. They've played in our games uh, whether that be my game or Alex's or one of the other 12 or 13 people that run games with us, um, they might request a certain person. And that game's going to be a little more comfortable, shall I say. It'll be a little more open. There'll be a little more camaraderie. There'll be, it'll be a little more laughing. Um, for the most part, It's even when the game is serious, the players are generally well aware of who we are. And um, I think that we do get more immersion um, mm. in in games that we run privately. Because first of all, people are paying for it, so they they want to they want to be there. So, um, so well, and one one thing about that, if I get when people hire us, the game is much sharper, right? Yeah. We're not limited by the constraints we talked about before. You right. tell us, oh, I want this. I want, you know, blah blah blah. I want a sci-fi horror, and I want it to be really edgy, and I want to. I want you to scare the living daylights up. Okay, good. Then we're gonna we're gonna design a game designed yeah. like that, right? And so the in the way in a way the so the gloves come off when we're doing you know games of that because we'll right. do whatever you tell us, or we can do a little pony, right? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have. Because <laughs> we have. Right? It's like you know, we have. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, we can, we, we, and that's the other thing with Doc Phoenix, we can run any game you want. Like if you've never played, um, whole human occupied landfill, um, we can run it for you. They say it's playable. I have it. <laughs> um, I'll run it. I'll run it. I don't, I don't know what would happen, but we can do it. Um, so, uh, I wouldn't run that at con though. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, so. I mean, we, we heard about the difference between Dark Phoenix events and cons. Ta tell us about the Dark Phoenix events. So Dark Phoenix events has been around now for, uh, let's see, this is going into our, I want to say seventh year. Um, it started as an idea uh, back when uh, me and my wife, I met my wife at, at a convention many, many years ago before, we, you know, and then we got married and then we had kids and 
well, we already had kids, but we brought our kids together and they were all gamers. And then our kids started getting older and we said, all right, so our kids are going to be eventually move away from the house. What do we want to do? And we, we came up with an idea that we love to game and we're, we're going to send, you know, our, our free time and our, our vacation time, we're going to game. And with that, we came up with the idea of surrounding ourselves with like-minded people that felt the same way about gaming that we were that kind of in the same place in life that we were. So we, we started recruiting gamers and the way we did that was really at the time my wife wasn't running games. She does now. She runs fiasco. And it's an amazing game. Anyways, um, we started recruiting gamers from people that we knew that we had game with. Uh, so obviously Alex was, I knew Alex, we played home games together. So obviously Alex was, was one of our first GMs. And then I found that people that played in my games that gave me, gave me a good game. I said, Hey, why don't you come back and uh, have a drink or go to a bar and have a drink and we'll sit and talk. And, and I recruit, we actively recruited people to be our, our GMs. Um, and from that, we now have a cadre of probably about, I don't know, 40 to 50 people, not all of them GMs, but 40 to 50 people that we consider close friends that, that are our gaming core. Um, when we do an event, a lot of times we do private events. Uh, we do events for our friends in the summertime. Like we do a camping event last year. We had 56 people at, um, we ran seven tables in the woods all weekend. Um, it's a blast. There's nothing like gaming in the woods at night. It, I agree. No, you can't. You can't. You can't even. If someone's never done it, you can't explain it to them. They just go try it. So yeah, we do this thing called Camping Cthulhu Con. This is our fifth year, sixth year. Um, we started with one table, and seven of us went out in the woods to see if it would work, and it did. And it's gotten slowly bigger. And last year we uh we had seven tables. So, and uh, we bring a cook and people just show up. Uh, of course, you pay a fee um, and you show up and we feed you and we terrorize you or make you laugh for a weekend long in the woods. And it's, it's a blast. But we do other events like that. We do events at, at big, uh, uh, like uh, uh, mansions and things like that. Um, other, we've done events in New York City. We've run games in New York City. We've run games up in the... The northern tips of Vermont. <laughs> that was a long ride. Um, but two table game, two DMs was a great. We had a lot of fun with it. So, yeah. So um, that's Doc Phoenix. Uh, we're still around, um, but we've progressed into something else now because we had so many people that we that like us, and you know, um, I'm never one to be stagnant. I suppose my wife finally said, "All right." I'll, 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 I'll let you try this con thing. <laughs> so, uh, we started a con and, um, yeah, now we have rising Phoenix game con. Tell us so, about uh, that. That sounds like a huge undertaking. It, it, it was definitely a huge undertaking. Um, so we were, we were all slated to start in 2020. Uh, we're all ready to go in April of 2020 and, uh, COVID came along and kicked us right, uh, in the nether regions. And uh, three weeks before the con, we canceled. Um, we had roughly 300 people coming to 275, somewhere around there. Um, yeah. So, um, we started, we tried to, we're coming back. We, we decided, uh, earlier this year, last year that we were going to do it again. And, uh, we're on slate for April uh, 22nd to 24th of this year. 
Um, it's going to be at the uh, Milford um, Doubletree in Milford. Um, and uh, we wish everyone would come and game with us. Um, we love gaming, and we have some really cool surprises for everybody. Uh, we've got uh, we've got a big board. There's 15 people on our board of directors. Um, we come from all walks of life. Um, some of these people are really business people. We're trying to, so we're doing this. Uh, our convention is not just gamers running games. It's it's people running games, um, and we're fairly organized about it. Um, we've got a huge group of panels and seminars for people, which I think is an under um, underused thing at conventions. I think more people uh, would go to panels and, and seminars at conventions if there were. So we've got some great panels coming up. Alex is actually in charge of our panels. I'll let him talk about that in a minute. Um, I'm in charge of gaming games pretty much. And um, we've got um, organized play. Pathfinder is going to join us. Um, we've got some miniatures tournaments. We're looking at a, a Flames of War tournament. We've got a, a Star Wars uh tournament game um we're gonna have a whole lot of rpgs everything from you know people running 5e to people running old school DD to people running all cthulhu people are going to be running um all, all kinds of stuff there's i know there's a couple fate games going on yep yep, yep. we got fate we got fiasco <laughs> shameless um, plug <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah come come and play with these guys these guys are going to run some games for us um That'll be really fun. I'm going to try to get on the other side of the table from one of them. So we'll see what happens. So, um, but yeah, please come and join us. Um, game submissions open now through March 4th. Uh, you can go on our website, risingphoenixgamecon.com. Um, we'll be on TTE. You'll sign up through TTE. Um, and uh, put some games in. We'd love to, love to. We've got a great vendors hall. We've got like, uh, I think, 12 vendors coming. Um yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a hoop. It's a <laughs> so, good opportunity uh, to support yeah. something. You know, I th think with yep. 2020 and everything that was canceled and virtual cons, yep. getting together yep. in person. I mean, oh, there's nothing that beats it. I will say though, yep. I want everybody to know that's listening. We are very conscious of COVID. Uh, we have a, we have a fairly strict COVID policy. Uh, vaccine vaccination or exemption. Um, please check out our website, and you're going to have to wear a mask while you're there. But uh, it, it's all about getting us back to the table. It really is. Yeah. I mean, gaming online is great. Don't get me wrong. But I, I liken it to this. So I can go to eat dinner at McDonald's, or I can go to eat dinner at a at a nice restaurant. Online to me is the McDonald's because I don't get the, the physicality of it and the, the, the immersion around the table and the, the camaraderie around the table. And we want that back. So come help us take back the table. Absolutely. Alex, you want to talk a little bit about panels? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I, I go to cons for is um, I'm a gaming geek, right? I, I study gaming. I'm interested in how it works and why it works. And so um, one of the things I do a lot at the conventions, like a total con, I'm doing a couple of uh, panels. I'm doing a couple of uh, seminars on what I call master classes, where I'm, you know, we're talking about a particular topic, like how do you read a table is one of the topics. And um, how do you, um, what topics do you avoid? And again, we talked about it earlier, right? Like sort of having a, a seminar on how do you craft stories about those topics while not disturbing people, 
who are who might be triggered or bothered by those topics. And we, we're we're going to have seminars on world building from people who run game companies and run you know who build build campaign books. We have a couple of people who are talking about women in gaming, um, and we have people who are running cons, people who are running Necromonicon, people who are running TotalCon. People are, so we have women who are uh, involved in the leadership of all these conventions, and we're going to have them talking about what it's like being a woman in the gaming world and what it takes to create. And we have another one about creativity and writing. How is writing related to, to, to games and how you can apply what you know writing the games what are good techniques for that having a couple authors that are have written modules and have written gaming material talk about their process and how that relates to the that difference between the theoretical and then when you actually execute it by by do, a, a, putting it into a game so it's going to be a lot of fun and i'm i'm very excited about it and i think that uh it will become one difference between archon I think at other cons is we're basically have back-to-back panels, speakers, and seminars, the entire convention. So for people who are really want to geek out about uh, what's under the hood and the how-tos and want to train themselves, we're going to have an, a, a, a constant strand of that throughout the whole convention, which I'm very excited about. Other people think I'm crazy, but that's going to be awesome. No, I, I no, think it's, I, great it's a good, that's a great idea. Scott and I have gone to a number of conventions and we, we are always hitting panels. Always yeah. hitting panels. I think it's an under under underused um, thing, especially at gaming conventions. I see you see a lot of it at comic cons. You see it at, at cosplay cons, um, but I think in gaming cons in gen- in particular, uh, they're underused. I think they're underdeveloped. Uh, I do want to make one plug. Uh, Evil Beagle Games out of Colorado is making their East Coast debut with us. They're, they're coming out. They're bringing their, bringing their management team to our convention, uh, and they're going to be at our convention looking for GMs to run their stuff. And they're going to they're gonna have a, a, a application process, and you're going to be able to uh, get a job interview right then and there at our con on Saturday afternoon, and then the people they pick are going to run a game for them one-hour slots on Sunday. So it should be fun. Um, we might even have uh, have somebody filming it. We'll see what's going on with that. But, uh, yeah, so come. If you if you're, if you're want to be an outrider for somebody, we got Evil Beagle Games. They get this really guilt, cool game called Paragons. Uh, it's a superheroes game, um, and they're coming out to Archon, and um, you could be an outrider for them and score yourself some good swag and uh, run their games at conventions out here. Sounds Maybe like great our, fun. At our convention. Yeah, so so uh, check it out. There will be more coming on the website about it. All right, and that's Running Games at Cons with Scott Legault and Iron DM Alex Jackal. We'll see you next time in the dojo. Thank you all. Bye, everybody. That's going to conclude this episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe to the podcast for more great content. If you'd like to hear a particular topic, you can reach us out on Facebook at the Dungeon Masters Dojo, or you can drop us an email at the Dungeon Masters Dojo at gmail.com. Thank you, and have a good day.